y'all. My name is John Devine, and I am the host of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast, the show that educates on the three most important pillars of becoming a strong individual, our health, our wealth, and our authentic expression of self. Before we get started, I would like to personally thank you, yes, you, for investing your time with me today. And I ask that if you do find value in today's episode, that you do us both a favor and subscribe. All right, let's jump into it, y'all. Yo, 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 ha, motherfucking yo. What up, y'all? It's your boy, John Devine, bringing you episode 12 of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. Man, guys, in today's episode, I'm so excited because we expand on episode 9, which for my loyal listeners, you guys know that that was all about how to properly prepare yourself for real estate investing. Yeah, today's episode is all about how to build out your real estate investment portfolio. And I do that with none other than my dear friend, Brendan Lee, who is the owner and operator at Extreme Carpet Clean and Restoration here in Kalispell, Montana. Now, that's all I've really known Brendan as. I've known that he's been doing some real estate in the background. But man, when you hear about how much this guy is killing it, and I'm talking about in a three to four year period of time, you're going to be like, I got to get on his method. So a little bit of background on Brendan. He has his bachelor's in engineering from Montana State University. He graduated back in 2015 after spending three years as the mascot known as Champ. And after his graduation, he decided it was time to move from Bozeman to Kalispell to start the Extreme Carpet Clean satellite office. And he had a bigger vision for it. And so in 2018, he bought out his business partner and started developing the restoration side of the business. That same year is when he started getting into real estate by buying his own home. And then one year later, at age 26, decided he was going to buy his first investment property and do his first flip. He now owns over $3.5 million dollars in investment properties that he has built in the last three years using the Burr method, which is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So without further ado, my guest, Mr. Brendan Lee. Brendan, say hello. Hey, John. How's it going? Good, man. Fantastic to have you in here. Uh, I've learned so much about you as a friend in the last like 30 minutes, so I'm super excited to talk to everyone about what I just talked about because I thought I knew you, but I didn't know any of this shit. <laughs> well, I mean, there's stuff that you asked me where I was... I, I'm even surprised, you know, when you think back on the dates, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, there, there's a lot there. Yeah, dude, <laughs> for sure. And so yeah. I just want to get started, you guys, by telling you a little bit about Brendan's story. So uh, unlike a lot of my previous guests, uh, Brendan and I actually don't have a ton of overlap um, in the story. Uh, we've just kind of been acquaintances uh, for the last five years now, um, hung out at some parties, uh, done some networking stuff together. But for the most part, I, I didn't know a ton about him. And so I'm excited to, to let you guys in on some stuff. So 
Brennan, first of all, how old are you? So I'm 29. I turn 30 this coming month. Okay. So I think that's super important for people to know because I, I feel like once you have the context of age, especially with a younger guy who's in the game like this, it gives a lot more confidence and hope as a listener of like, oh, I can do that. Because I feel like even when you break this stuff down, if somebody's in their 40s, 50s, they're like, oh, they've been doing it for 20 years. They've had all these years to save up money and yeah, very you're true. 29. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, what I know about you just from this little bit of conversating is you're a hustler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> through and through. Yes. <laughs> okay. Where does that come from? Man, I, I think it, it just comes from childhood. You know, like as early as I can remember, if I wanted something, my parents said, you have to save up for it. Okay. They wouldn't go get it for me. They'd be like, you have to save up for it. So when it, when I was like, hey, I want a, a crotch rocket as my first car, I did a paper route every single morning at 4 a.m. And I'd, I'd uh, deliver papers to 70 houses, all on bicycle, all just carrying all that weight on my shoulders. In the um, winter? 100% of the year. Yes. <laughs> every day. Every single day. Um, okay. I mean, Christmas morning, I'm up at 4 a.m. I'm doing that. Like, Damn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> How old were you for that? I was uh, 14, 15. Okay. Is that the earliest you remember, like, really hustling to get money to do something? No, 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 no. I, I mowed lawns before that. Okay. So when... I, oh, like, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. What? I was mowing some lawns in the neighborhood. 10, 11? Like, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. That's about right. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I just, I'd mow lawns. Um, yeah, I mean, heck, even I was in Boy Scouts, and I okay. sold a lot of popcorn. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking, like, uh, $1,800 worth of popcorn my first year, and I just wanted the the knives that you would get from it. Okay. Like, you get, you get a prize for selling the most every week. So I'd go out, and I would ride door to door to door all around my neighborhood until I covered, like, a five-mile radius. Um, is that right? No, no, that's not right. It felt like five miles because I was mm -hmm. a kid on a bicycle. Right. Um, it was a lot less though. As I think about like mile, mile and a half. <laughs> yeah. Something Still, like though, that. <laughs> at that age as a kid, not only riding the bike that far with the pack on the back, but doing it for money. Yeah. It was as far as I could go without like going to the next city. Yeah. Like, cause, cause there was only so much development around me, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Okay. So what were you trying to buy with your money at that age? Oh, you could get like camping gear and stuff like that. So part of the money, you get a commission and it goes into a scout account for buying like backpacks and like gear and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. But mostly I wanted the pocket knife at the end of the week that was worth like, you know, 50 bucks. Yeah. That. yeah. Uh, but <laughs> little did I know I, I had like, I don't know, a thousand bucks or so in my scout account at the end. And I was like, well. Time to go shopping. shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it goes way back, you know, really. So you're a marshmallow test kid. You're the oh. one. Did you listen uh, in episode five, Delayed Gratification, I talk about the marshmallow test? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where I'm. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I did think about it, and I wasn't sure which kid I would be. Okay. I didn't think I would be the one to ask the doctor, like, Hey, so if I hold out for another five minutes, can I get more? More? I don't think I was that kid. Okay. I was, yeah, I, was, I could probably hold out for it. Yeah. 
But when you were mowing lawns, what were you using money for? I don't know. I mean, uh, so that's what makes me think that you're the kid that asks, how do I get another? Because I don't really think at that age, uh, unless you have some special living arrangement, right, that you have anything you need money for. Yeah. But once you got some money, you went, oh, shit, how do I get some more of this? True, true. Yeah. Right. Some yeah. people, they're just like, but here you are, 29 years old, what? almost 20 years later, a good 17, 18 years later, and you're still trying to get more. <laughs> true, true. And I, I think I probably spent it on just, you know, dumb things like Game Boy games and stuff. For but sure. I'm, I mean, you got to reward yourself. You have to. Like, that's why you're doing it. And that's the purpose. Anyone who's not in a nonprofit, like, everyone's like, oh, what's your purpose? Figure out whatever your purpose is. But your business's purpose is to make money. Agreed. And the purpose to make money is to either invest or spend it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like we're in this weird era where, like, you got to feel bad for making money. Like, yeah, no, no. I <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, I think if if you feel bad for making money, uh, you're just looking at it wrong. Set, yeah. Yeah. Um, Money's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It helps to buy the experiences or the life that you want to create. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's nothing to feel bad about there. No. So you're a hustler as a kid, and then you went to uh, Montana State University at what age? So I was 18 years old, yeah. Okay. And by the end of your first year, you were going after being the school mascot. <laughs> yep. Why? Uh, well, you know, I, I, oh, man, I just, uh, I could barely, barely, barely afford college. Okay. And barely squeaked by that freshman year. And I was about to drop out and go work at the oil rigs because uh, the big oil boom was happening, come back and pay for school. And then uh, I found out that Champ, the mascot, got an in-state tuition waiver, which was worth a little over five grand. And I was like, if I could get that, that might make this doable. Like it was just enough where it put it on the brink of like, hey, my student loans will now not leave me with a massive payment I can't afford. Okay. It was just enough where it was a small payment that I could afford. Nice. And yeah. So that was that was what happened. It was just uh you know <laughs> believe it or not, no one showed up to tryouts that day, including myself. I happened to know the old mascot, and I assumed that it, it's those limiting beliefs. I thought that everyone else who was going to show up was going to be way better than I was. Yep. Well, maybe they thought the same thing because mm -hmm. no one showed up. And then the old mascot came in and said, hey, no one showed up. If you want to go sign that contract, it's all yours. And I was like, what? I, I, I thought I'd be the last in line for this. <laughs> and I walked in. I signed the contract. And... Man, got got that scholarship. There is two things to highlight there. Number one, that right there is proof that you have an entrepreneur who is in school because you stayed in school by virtue of being an entrepreneur, meaning there was a problem. How do I solve this? Do I quit and go do something else or do I find a way to solve the problem and stay here? That is entrepreneurialism. When people ask me like what I do, I solve problems and put out fires all day, whether it's for my clients, my agents, my business partners, whatever, like all I do is put out fires. 
a good way to put it. And I've never heard that before. And I, I really like that. Yeah. And so you were problem solving in school to keep yourself in school. And then the second thing is 90% of success is literally showing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't realize how many motherfuckers aren't going to show up. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, and because <laughs> there were supposed to be like four or five people there. Supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And zero showed up. Yeah. One showed up. Uh, not even. I mean, I showed up after. I had already missed tryouts. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was in there lifeguarding that day. And my head guard, who was uh, who was the old champ at the time, he walked in. He was like, hey, man, you missed tryouts. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm sure someone more qualified got it. And he was like, no, no, no one, one showed, showed up. up. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just didn't market it. Or I don't know why no one showed up. But like there were five people who were supposed to be on the list, including me. No one. No one came. Wild. So two lessons there already for those of you who are listening. Uh, and so you do that for three years. You end up graduating with an engineering degree, right? Yep. Yep. General engineering. Is it specific? I was construction engineering. So it's essentially like heavy civil general contracting on a commercial side of things. But yeah. Okay. And did why did you not decide to take a path of using that? Uh, well, while I was there, I had to show up a month early um, going into sophomore year, and I had to go to cheer camp to learn how to become a mascot. Mm -hmm. And so I I worried more about getting my crotch rocket to school, <laughs> like from the Tri-Cities in Washington, where I'm from, and trailering it over to Bozeman. Um, I worried more about that than I did a mattress right so i got there and it was just one of those lessons my dad was going to teach me from he wasn't going to speak up about it he just he just let me learn and we get there and he's like so did you think about a bed and i was like oh, oh. shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh he's like all right well we got to go mattress shopping and we go mattress shopping and i end up chatting with this guy because like I'm a broke college kid, right? And my dad was, like, helping me out a little, but he was like, we're going to see if we can get you a real budget mattress. Yep. And I start chatting with uh, this guy. His name was Alonzo Antonucci, as Italian of a last name as they can get. That's Alden's <laughs> brother, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, he mentions that he's going to be selling a bunch of mattresses to college kids coming in in about a month, and he needs someone to run deliveries. And so that, that was me. He just, uh, we exchanged numbers and I went in and started running deliveries by that maybe winter or spring. He had, uh, pretty much said, you know, my brother's looking for help. His carpet cleaning business is growing like crazy. And, uh, I think your money motivated enough to work for him because it's, it's a lot less Gucci than this type of work, delivering <laughs> mattresses. <laughs> and I was like, so it pays more? He's like, yeah, definitely. I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm there. I, I didn't even know how much harder it would be. Marshmallow know? test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Okay. So <clears throat> that's extreme carpet cleaning, and that's based out of Bozeman, right? Out of Bozeman, yep. So Alden started that, right? Alden started that one, yes. Okay. So then you're working for Alden. You're still going to college. You're doing carpet cleaning, and you're falling in love with it? 
You're oh. falling in love with the money that you're making? I think it was just, yeah, a lot of it was the money. And and when you're really young, like, you can you can chase money and you don't get tired of it. But there comes a point when you start to get into your mid-20s and your late 20s, you realize if you don't have a passion for it, you can't keep doing it. Yep. So I wasn't there yet. Um, yeah. And I just chased the money. Okay. So you're chasing the money, you're making good money, and then you graduate and you get an offer to start your own branch of the company? Yeah. And I wouldn't say I got an offer. I, I asked Alden, hey, you know, I'm going to end up being an engineer somewhere. However, I think I could maybe start a carpet cleaning company and in the end have two incomes. So I believed, right? I'm a 22-year-old kid. Um, I'm like, I can start this thing. I'll hire a manager when the time comes, and I'll go be an engineer. Great. I'll have two incomes. Awesome. There's a lot more to it. And it, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, uh, businesses don't just run themselves after a year. Heck, you know, definitely not a summer. No. <laughs> no. If you've got one, call me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll invest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's how I came up here. You know, we, we were just chatting and... Um, you know, I was like one of the employees where if he was having a birthday party or family uh, thing, you know, I, I was the one who was invited to that. So Alden, Alden and I just really got along. Maybe he saw something in me, I guess. Um, a little hustler, dude. Yeah. 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 So. So what's interesting is that was 2015? Yeah, 2015. I came up here with a carpet cleaning van and uh, I don't know, like two grand to my name. At a boy that I had saved up in college, carpet cleaning, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so I moved to Bozeman in 2016. So I got there right after you left, and I started working and brand new at door to door, store to store sales. And I walk into uh, what is his little Brazilian restaurant? Acai. Yeah. So yeah. I walk into Acai one day and I'm like, what is this weird little place in Bozeman? I get some food and it's awesome. And I meet Alden and he's telling me about his wife and his kids and how he got to the Brazilian restaurant. And then he tells me about Extreme and we just start talking and I'm like, yeah, I just moved here. I just started a business. And he's like, cool. And so he's like, yeah, come hang out. And he took me to, uh, what does he do? Like rally car that like I don't know exactly what box car racing. Yeah. Like dirt box car racing. Yeah. yeah. So he took me to a couple of his races and we just, we became friends. It was cool. Yeah. And then when I moved to Kalispell in 2017, a year later, when Kelly and I got together, Alden was like, Oh yeah, you should meet Brendan. Yeah. And so that's how we originally crossed paths, which is so weird. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and when you said, Hey, I know Alden from Bozeman, I was instantly like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. When are we meeting up? When are we, you know, going to grab a beer or something? Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so you were two years into running extreme at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how was it going at that point? It was going pretty good. You know, we had been carpet cleaning, um, but we, you know, and I, I had even tried to open up a Missoula branch uh, okay. at the same time. Um, ambitious, ambitious, you know, it spread too thin. It mm -hmm. didn't work. Yep. Uh, most of it was just winter came Yep. and I was like, I can't travel back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was coming along, but we had just started our water damage side of things, uh, 
I don't know, a little bit before that, probably 2016, right, right in there. And that was, that was kind of what helped to take the company to the next level and was a little bit more my calling and my passion as well. And still is. So were you trying to make more money per transaction? Is that what took you to restoration? Like why, why branch out in that direction? You know, uh, yeah, I think, I think there was just more money in it, but in such a way where it allows you to be a legitimate company so that you can like the way I would describe it is carpet cleaning. It's a lot of revenue. Um, but gosh, it's a lot of expenses. Okay. Um, you know, and, and once you start seeing it scale, you're like, Oh, this just isn't that profitable. Um, and that was, that was what brought me to water damage. And a lot of people who do water damage and have a carpet cleaning sector will probably tell you that too. Okay. But that's, that's what brought it to me. I was, I was starting to see that I would never be able to have, um, really awesome employees with, um, healthcare plans and all the things that keep really good people around. I was starting to see that we wouldn't be able to do that with carpet cleaning only. Gotcha. And you do water damage, you do mold? Yeah, so water, fire, sewer, mold is our restoration sector. Okay. And then our cleaning sector is carpet cleaning and duct cleaning and tile cleaning as well. Damn. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Extreme is obviously still running today. Yep. yep. And so you've been in the business, what, since 13? Yeah. So you're yep. coming up on a decade. True. Congrats, bro. That's a big <laughs> yeah. deal. That's big, yeah. How yeah. many employees do you have now? Uh, we've got like five, I think five full-time employees. And then we've got another like five or six that we can call on for when we need a bigger crew out in the field. Sweet. So, yeah. So, yeah, you got a healthy little business running. Yeah, yeah. So how much of the actual restoration work do you do now? Uh, depends on the week you know, really, yeah. and depends on the personnel. Sometimes we get more personnel in summer. Sometimes we get less in winter. So it, it depends. But uh, I'd say probably half I'm there for, but we have little spurts, you know, and if my lead guy is gone for like last week, he was gone for the whole week. I just took care of everything. So, yep. Yeah. The reason I bring attention to that, guys, is for anyone who may be starting a business. Um, you know, a lot of people start a business and then they're like, oh, I'm a business owner. And a lot of times you don't really own a business. A business owns you, especially yes. for the first three to five years. And then what most business owners don't realize is like, let's say that you are a uh, salesman. Let's say that you're a personal trainer. Let's say that you are a chef. Let's say you clean carpets. If any one of those roles is something that you truly love deep in your heart and soul and you start a business, you have to realize that there is no way your business is ever going to hit its peak if you can't stop being the massage therapist and start being the business owner because the business owner's job is to work on the business, not in the business. And for the first three to five years, you're working on it, in it, for it, with yeah. And eventually you need to start backing out, buying yourself some time, replacing yourself. And so if you've bought back 50% of your time, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it took five people to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, same in sales. It takes seven sales agents to do what I do, right? But yeah. if you can build that out enough and you can train them, eventually they'll get better. So 
yeah, I feel the pain, but just for people out there, if you're building a business and you're feeling like drained or burnt out or beat down, it's probably because you are, because you're doing three to five people's jobs. Yes. And your end destination is to have one job, which is work on the business. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily, I've got some awesome people on board and they all know that my time is best spent building the business yep. and not being in the field. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, I'm grateful for that because not, not everyone can wrap their head around that. Nope. And the way I put it, I'm like, you know, one of my coaches, the way he puts it too, he's like, Hey, is Bill Belichick over there being a quarterback and trying to run plays? Or is he being a head coach for the Patriots, uh, you know, on the sidelines so that he can see the true big picture of mm-hmm. what, what is everything going on? Where sometimes the quarterback or maybe just the O lineman won't be able to see the full big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think as long as you can make sure that you have a head coach, which is the business owner, yep, who's working on the business and building it up, it's going to be a lot more successful. Agreed. So you're owning a business, you're doing your thing, and then 2018 comes along and you are compelled to get into the real estate game. You're compelled to go buy a home. What happened in 2018 that you were like, it's time to get into the real estate game? Yeah. um, Well, so this was to buy my personal residence, right? Um, What happened was I was renting a house with two other dudes and our lease was coming up. And those two both like one just said, hey, you know what? My parents have an extra bedroom at their house. I'm probably like in a whole different guest swing. I'm probably going to go live there. And then the other, the second person was like, yeah, I'm going to go do the same thing. And so it left me only. And I was, and my, the landlord at the time asked, do you want to keep renting the place? And it was like 13, 1400 bucks a month at the time. And I was like, you know what? I bet a mortgage is about the same. And it actually was, it was 1350 bucks was the mortgage for, for a, Two hundred thirty thousand dollar house at the time, and the way I thought about it, I need to go either rent a house with a three car garage so it can fit vans and stuff in it, uh, and carpet cleaning stuff, and I'm either going to be paying the full rent amount, which is fourteen hundred bucks a month, or I'm going to be paying the mortgage, and no matter what, I have to go find new roommates. Right, and so it was it was easy. It was just hey, let me talk to a realtor. And, uh, and see, and luckily I had a realtor who was in my biz to biz group who said, you know, I've had someone's house for sale who was also in our biz to biz group and they had bothered me about, and I'd say bothered. They had, I, they didn't bother me about it. They let me know that, Hey, this is on the market. And I was like, yeah, I'm not in, I, I'm not trying to buy a house. And then again, they let me know. And then finally they were like, Brendan, this is on the market. It's hitting the market today. It's going to go quick. And that was right at the time where I had made that decision. I need to find more roommates and I need to buy a house. Okay. So beautiful timing. Yep. Again, entrepreneur spirit, looking to problem solve. Do I want to pay rent? Do I got to get all these uh, garages to put all my gear in? You still had roommates. So you were covering a lot of your mortgage with other people's money yep. or all of it. Yeah. Uh, not quite. I, okay. I would say I was paying about the same amount of rent, which was like, I don't know, 500 bucks a month or so. But now people are paying down your mortgage. 
Yeah, yeah. Not currently, but at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which you're 25 at this time. Yep. Okay. So then you're in your house. You've made your first real estate investment. It's kind of a home office as well. Correct. Yeah. Um, you've got roommates that are helping you pay down. And something happens because within a year, you decide to start getting into investing. And that's really what we're here to talk about today. But were you wanting to invest for the purpose of investing before you bought your home? Or did you buy your home and then go, oh, I can really start investing and making some money here? So I already had been investing into the stock market a little bit, just long-term stuff, you know, Microsoft at the time. Um, it was, I was treating it like a high-interest savings account. Okay. And so I bought my house, and I had already – I always knew. I was like, I want to make a tiny home development or have a bunch of storage units. And – Tiny home development for, like, renting out? Renting out, yes. Yep. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to have that, but, um, you know, one step at a time. And there was so much that I didn't know where it was like, it was almost up there in the cloud a little bit where I was like, I, I kind of know what I need to do, but mostly I don't. Okay. And um, that's when pretty much I, it's it's funny, I was, I was sharing that information with, a uh, gal who I was like on a blind date with in the Tri-Cities, Washington. And she was like, you know what? You would love the Bigger Pockets real estate podcast. Okay. And the whole way home for six hours uh, back here to Kalispell, I listened to that. And it was like the clouds opened up, the sun was shining <laughs> on me, and I had seen the light. And all of a sudden, it was just so clear. Okay. where I was going in life, and I didn't feel like I was just kind of wandering around, floating, like, yeah, I feel remotely successful and things are coming along, but I don't know what the next step is. That was like, boom, I got it. Nice. Right there. Okay. Yeah. A couple of things just hit me as questions. When did you know you wanted a tiny home or storage facility investment? That was in college. Okay. I, Why? I just... uh I had looked at a storage unit in Bozeman and I saw what they were charging for the summer. And I looked at how many storage units they had and I was like, this has to be making a bundle. So I went on Google Maps, I measured out all the storage units and I found what their approximate revenue would be per year. And then I was also in construction, right? So I started chatting with friends to find the build cost for it to actually see yep. what what it would look like to build it and then run, to it. run it and then what that investment and that ROI would be. Um, and for anyone out there, if you ever have the chance to take a class called Engineering Economic Analysis, it will blow your mind and it will teach you so in depth on how to invest with, I mean, big, big stuff where you're you're taking a lot of things into account. Okay. And uh, and then when you do basic investing, like a home or a multifamily, it feels so easy. Sweet. Just to underwrite the deal, not not yeah. the actual action that comes after, but it makes it feel so simplified. I'll definitely take that class. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay. And so you were in college. Do you still have that 
desire one day to get into storage units and or mini home developments. I am working on a tiny home development right now. Sick, bro. Yeah. Coming to fruition. (laughs) Coming to fruition. Wow. Okay. If if I can find the right storage unit development, yes, I I would. So I would do either. Have you talked to Nathan Garber yet? A little bit, but not not super in depth. You know, just one evening at at uh, one of one of your gatherings. That's what he does. He runs an investment company and a construction company, and they do mini storages around the U.S. Yep. Yeah. So I know I need to chat with him more. It's it's yeah. been on the list of of things to do. That boy is a baller bro yes yes, i agree i agree (laughs) okay so then you said you listened to the deeper pockets podcasts the whole way excuse me the bigger pockets podcast all the way back home to kalispell yep and then must have been hooked because you ended up diving in and doing up to or over 400 hours of total self-education right correct yeah yeah okay so Biggest lesson there, guys, is we live in 2022, about to be 2023. If there's something you want to learn, do not make any sort of bullshit excuse. There's free information out there on how to do it. Um, I've used it. Brendan's used it. Tons and tons of people have used it. It's free, and it's got literally, like Brendan said, the keys to the clouds parting and whatever it is, if it's small business, if it's real estate, if it's whatever, um, the answers are out there. So number one, you've got to educate yourself. Um, you know, once you've got yourself nice and educated, hopefully you listened to episode nine, where we talk, um, with my mortgage lender and we talk about how to get your finances prepared, get your budget, your debt consolidation, go get your pre-approval, once you guys have all that, right, you've been delaying gratification, you've been setting up your finances, maybe you own a business that's now turning that you can use as an asset, um, whatever your scenario is, what we're going to talk about is you've now gotten into hopefully your first home, which even you, Brennan, said was a, a key for you. Yes. Why do you think it was key? I knew that, I knew that things were growing a lot. I knew that the market was blowing up. And that was the time when if you found something under 200,000, they were out there. Yep. But it was super hard to do. Um, and and that, that type of thing would fly off the shelf in, you know, a day. Um, and I knew things were growing. And I knew that I could lock in essentially the quote-unquote rent amount, if yep. you will, right? Um, I could lock in that rate for 30 years. And no one could raise it on me. And that that was huge because our landlord was raising the rent from 1300 to 1400 you know, just in a year. And it was like, well. Uh, so stability. Stability, yeah. Yeah. And luckily I had Alden telling me, dude, buy a home, buy a home, buy a home. Like you need it for tax write-off purposes and such. And okay. so luckily, you know, I, I did have him telling me that. And you, much like Zach Falk um, from episode nine, you – as well used a rural development loan, right? Correct, yes. Which the only reason it wasn't zero down is you needed to drop the uh, uh, monthly payment a little bit, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, so rural development guys, two of my guests talking about how they got started in real estate was rural development, okay? I didn't even know that existed before two weeks ago when I talked to Zach. Yeah, yeah. When he said FDA, I was like, beef? Or USDA? He was like, yeah, USDA. I was like, oh yeah, beef? (laughs) 
<laughs> He's like, <laughs> yeah. no, bro, rural development loans. I was like, sure. <laughs> yeah. You can get an RD loan through the state of Montana, zero down. Um, and typically the interest rate is really awesome too. So it was, it was lower than anything conventional that I could find. So, I mean, to put it in perspective, right, I was buying a $230,000 house. And when I was looking at conventional and buying down the rate and all these different comparisons, that was going to be $1,500, $1,600 a month. And then my RD was $1,350 with zero down. Big difference. Big, big difference. Yep. Um, so he went out, he got himself stability, got himself into his first real estate deal, kind of cut his teeth in a little bit. Um, and then after all that education and getting himself set, which is the purpose of this episode is to take you from what we talked about in episode nine to, okay, now you're stable. You've got yourself in your first real estate uh, investment. Now let's look at how are we going to shift into investing? And you wanted to go with the quote unquote burr method. And for those of you who don't know, that's buy rehab rent refinance and repeat. And we're going to go over all of that here in a minute. But why did you think that made the most sense? I thought it made the most sense because a lot of people will, the traditional way, you go buy a rental house and you have to put 25% down because it's not your primary residence. So let's say if you're buying a, throw in some numbers out, $300,000, you know, place, you're going to have to put 75 grand down. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot. And then, and then, uh, you take it one step further, you're going to get a little bit back each month. Right. And it, yeah, over time, um, the property will appreciate and stuff, but I was like, man, that might be like five more years till I can buy another place. Yeah. But what if I could recycle that capital? What if I could go in, I could do that as a construction project and then pull that $75,000 back out and go and buy another one. And that's what the Burr method is all about. It's about taking a lower priced property. For instance, um, I call it the Dairy Queen house. There's a place across the street from Dairy Queen. Yep. And it's right there on the corner. And it used to be like... <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Light candy, cotton candy blue with white boarded up. One window was definitely boarded up. Yep. Um, it was it was a mess. And I bought it for 230 grand. It's a triplex. This is your place? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And one really, really cool thing that not a lot of people know, the seller, seller financed the 25% down payment. For you? Yes. I walked away from closing with a check for $1,000, which was my earnest money. Wow. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, and so that was your, was that your first investment deal? That was the first one that was meant to be a burr and not a flip. So okay. it was the second investment I ever bought. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your first investment. And then I want details on that second one because that's cool. Um, but with your first investment, you saved that down payment money, didn't you? Yes, I did. And how much was that? I was like $100,000. So again, putting skin in the game, marshmallow test, right? Yep. Putting away $1,000 in this country is a big deal. 69% of Americans don't have $1,000 in their savings account. True. You did 100 times that. That's some delayed gratification. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of you may know that I like power sports and I like toys. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> um, first off, they're all paid for in cash. None of them. I do not pay interest on toys and depreciable assets. That's a big, big rule for me. Uh, real estate, yes, I'm okay with leveraging. It's yep. appreciating. Yep. Um, and with that being said, it's just, uh, yeah, delaying that gratification, saving up that money, knowing that it's really easy to live the same type of life that you've been living, but it's really yeah. hard to go from, let's say, a life where instead of spending $30,000 a year, you're spending sixty. Hard to go from sixty back to thirty. Yep. But you can keep living the same way. So I, I was typically living about two or three years behind what my actual income was, and I also had roommates that were paying down my mortgage. Nice. Yep. So big, big tips there, guys, on how to get yourself prepped for that big first investment. But yeah, he got started by literally saving one hundred thousand single dollars. So. Yeah. Yeah, one dollar at a time. It felt like it, that's it how it tough. feels every time, bro. So yeah, yeah. He he literally put skin in the game, and that first uh, investment property. When was that? That was twenty nineteen. So a year after you bought your own place, yep. You put a hundred grand into an investment property. Yes. Yeah, you are an ambitious little hustler. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one one thing to point out, too, when I say a high-interest savings account, you know, Microsoft was going up, and it was going up by about 20% every year. So that was really valuable because I didn't, I didn't actually sock away 100000 right? I socked away, let's say, twenty five, then 30 then slowly, then that would get 20% that year. And so it just slowly built, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was a hundred grand sitting in the bank. But you know, probably thirty thousand of that was interest. And now a quick word from today's sponsor, Cryo Kalispell. This one goes out to all my veterans with sore joints and blown out discs, my athletes with sore muscles, heck, even my moms with sore low backs from carrying kids all day. Really, anyone with overall muscle soreness, joint pain, and body aches. If you're looking to speed up your recovery time, soothe those muscles, and get back to a pain-free life, man, today is your lucky day because cryotherapy is the perfect solution. Cryocalispell's cutting-edge cryosana effectively speeds up recovery times and repairs damaged muscle tissue. Guys, let me tell you, I am a big, big fan and personally use this treatment, especially after heavy lifts. So if you go in and mention that you got this deal from the Healthy Wealthy People podcast, you are going to get a three-session pack for only $99. So go book now at cryocalispell.com, and let's get back to the show. Awesome. Yeah. So when we get into Burr, we are going to get into step one, which is buy. So we just went over, you bought your first property with 100000 uh, saved money or rather invested money that grew and then you pulled out, dropped on uh, your first investment. And that first investment was what? A single family, a multifamily? What was it? It was a single family place. Okay. So you bought a single family place with the intention of burring it, but ended up having to do a straight flip, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you bought, you, were, you must have been in the rehab process. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... 
you get into rehab in your first deal. And I remember this from your stories on social media. You did that rehab by yourself. Yes, we were, we were trying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, lessons. What do you got for rehab or thinking you can rehab your first deal or any deal? Yeah. Well, I mean, what I'll say is we did a lot of demolition right, as a company through extreme. So it was awesome because we were going in the winter and we thought, oh, we can do the demo. We're really good at it. We've done it a lot. And then, hey, Professor YouTube can teach you a lot, which he can. But, I mean, I was paying these guys like 20 bucks an hour and we were taking three times as long as what a professional contractor would take. So really, my budget was more like 60 bucks an hour for a contractor and most of them were 40 to 60 bucks an hour at that time. And how many guys were you paying to help? Uh, probably at least like two to four. So you're spending literally 40 to 60 an hour anyways, yeah. and it's taking three times as long. Yeah, yeah. So the valuable lesson there, guys, is what we call price versus cost. A lot of people will go with the cheaper option, right? They'll go with the cheaper equipment. They'll go with the cheaper deal. They'll go with the cheaper whatever one of the biggest lessons I ever learned in business and in life is right now we're using like some of the most expensive top of the line equipment with some of the best warranties on it because I don't want it to break a, so I bought better equipment. If it does break, I want it warrantied. Right. And that costs more money, but I don't know how to fix any of this stuff. Right. And my time is worth a lot running my business. So, I run everything. There's a great book out there by Dan Cummins called, uh, it's actually a series of books for entrepreneurs called the No BS. Um, and he's got all kinds, but my favorite one was No BS Time Management for the Entrepreneur. And what he teaches you is do your best to track your work hours and your billing hours and your total billing and your net profits. And then you need to figure out what your actual time per hour is worth. Let's say it's 20 bucks in the beginning, let's say it's 200 bucks, whatever your hourly is, then you run that against decisions. You go, what can I pay somebody to be a general contractor? Let's say it's 60 bucks an hour. If I make $200 an hour and I try to do this guy's job, I don't know how to do this guy's job as well as he does. Now I'm not running my business at $200 an hour, so it's actually costing me 260, plus it's gonna take me longer Whereas if I just minus 60 from my 200, I still get to go make 140 bucks an hour and pay him 60. Yeah. So price versus cost, because if you guys buy cheap or hire cheap and it takes longer or you have to redo the job later or whatever, now the total cost of the project ends up being more than the total cost of the more expensive hourly beginning. So just knowing price up front is better than cost long term. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And you wish that you know that you knew what mm-hmm. you know now. And now it's it's so obvious. But <laughs> but at the time Hindsight. man, when you scrape together that hundred thousand dollars dollar by dollar at a time, oh man, it's it's tough to let it go. Uh-huh. Um and it feels like if you're paying someone more per hour, like forty to sixty bucks an hour, it feels like you're you're paying more, but you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's why it took us kind of failing, if you will, flailing and failing <laughs> yeah. um, and seeing it take so long to even get some drywall up, you know, and and it was just it was a nightmare. Um, 
And there came a point where we started to come out of winter and I knew we were too busy on the carpet cleaning front. And it was like, okay, uh, it's time to hire a contractor in here. Mm -hmm. So, so you were still in your first deal when you decided to hire help. Yes. Okay. So you learned fairly quickly. Some people would take multiple deals, but I mean, as a business owner, you realize your time was more valuable somewhere else. Yeah. But that place sat for a little while. Okay. And with no one in it, no work getting done. And there came a point where I was like, we're not getting, you know, that was, that was like March or April. Um, and I was like, we're not getting less busy. We're going in the summer. I, I mean, it's either going to sit all summer or get, get someone in there. But that was the point when I was starting to realize how much better a contractor would be than us. Yeah. And so you put a hundred thousand as the down payment. No, no. That was total with construction loan and all that. That's that one. I saved up a hundred. We went so far over. It wasn't even funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, like, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, so I don't necessarily want to yep. quote them out for sure. But um, yeah, I saved up a hundred. That one was on a construction loan, and we were so far over budget that in the end, I mean, I had to take a hard money loan just to finish it. And I burned through that hundred plus, you know, every dollar I was making at the time. So, because that rehab took a year and two or three months, and it, yeah, it was rough. It was really rough. So, did you make or lose money on that first deal? Well, we made money. So good. <laughs> we we made a lot of money, um, which was great, you know, because I, I went into it with a goal. However, um, yeah, we smashed that goal, which is great. But um, a lot of it was just it was a good reminder to take action. If you don't take action, nothing will happen. Yep. And yeah, it was it was a good feeling because your first deal is oftentimes your hardest deal. For sure. Your first millions, your first hardest million to make the first business is the hardest one to run. Like you're learning, right? So the good news is you went way over on budget. You went way over on plan. You spent way too much time. You learned a lot of hard lessons. You had to buy and hire contractors to come in and redo stuff and do it better. It sat for too long and you were still ROI net positive. Correct. And I'm going to say this, that the market bailed me out. (laughs) Yeah. If you know anything about the, market here in the Flathead Valley from late 2019 through really the last six months here in 2022. We're the fastest growing micropolitan uh, area in the United States. Like, so Brendan got in at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I did, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where I always thought that because I'm, you know, 29, I think we're about the same age, right? Yeah. I'm 31. Yeah. Yep. I always thought, I was like, if I were just born like five to seven years earlier, like where <laughs> Alden was, I was like, I'd be so much further ahead. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. he was like right there coming in 08 mm-hmm. um, with with a little bit. We're coming into our own version of that. Quite possibly. Yeah. 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 But it's uh, it's one of those things where I think we, we always think the grass is greener on the other side. For sure. Really, big part of it is just... Water your grass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Water your grass. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. It might be greener over there, but that's probably because you're busy fucking looking over there and not watering your goddamn grass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so rehab was tough. Um, first round, you learned uh, some lessons and started hiring help. Since that first rehab, uh, you've done 14 rehabs. 
but obviously hired for people to rehab. Yeah, and we'll we'll do the demo in house. Okay. Typically, um, we'll do the demo in house, and then um, and then yeah, it's bringing in a contractor, having systems and processes, and I'm really really glad the way we did it. Um, that first deal, we turned it into a triplex. And also the second deal, it was a triplex, that Dairy Queen house. Yep. So I had six units that I needed to remodel in a hurry. And it forces you to make systems and processes. It's what countertops are we going to use? Because we're going to use them for all of them. What cabinets are we going to use? We're going to do the same thing across the board. Less decisions. Yep. yep. So when I went to Lowe's to find a sink or a fixture, that was the only time I wanted to go to Lowe's for a sink or a fixture. It wasn't going to be, hey, let's come back and, uh, you know, decide which one we yep. want to get for the next one. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like what you see on, you know, what, HGTV, HGTV. Yep. where they're, like, actually shopping. No, no. They have all their stuff figured out. Yeah, unless it's, like, one of those shows where they're literally doing custom designs for big, big millionaires. But if you're talking about doing flips, yeah, you probably have a streamlined mainstream process to follow things to buy people to use. Yeah. Yeah. They love their drama. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So 14 rehabs is a big deal, man, especially saying that you started in 2019 because that's three years of work. Well, I closed on the first one, December 28th of 2019. So two years. Yeah. Really? Shit, bro. (laughs) So 14 rehabs on seven buildings, uh, very, very impressive. Have you every single one of them been a rehab job? Uh, yes. Okay. I've, I've never bought something that <laughs> didn't need help. Yeah. And by help, I mean a lot of help. Because you can put in X and return Y. Yeah. The big, the big thing with the Burr method is you have to have meat on the bone. If, if I just go and buy a brand new duplex... The only way I can ever burr out of that is wait 10 years right. for it to appreciate enough where I have equity. Whereas if I can make that forced equity and have that, it's typically going to be sweat equity, then I can have that meat on the bone so I can refinance out. Sweat equity or if you're in a position where you got some money laying around, equity. Yeah. Throw your money down, right? Yeah, yeah. And the big thing was, though, um, and what I what I mean by all of this it's it's trying to recycle that capital. Yep. Using that same seventy five thousand dollars for every single project. Yep. And that that was the main goal. So we went into that second deal to basically do another burr because you had to sell deal number one, right? Correct. And that was because I went so far over and I couldn't bring the money out. Right from it, a rental. Yeah, it made more sense to sell it and pocket the check. Yep. So. So you pocketed that check, and you could have used that check, I'm assuming, to buy the second deal, but you had an owner finance? Yeah, well, and I had already, I bought those two within a month of each other, the first and the second one, so all, yeah, the six units. So I was, like, trying to work on them all at the same time, Oh, which made it that much worse. Yeah, ambition got the better of you. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, And I'm glad I did it. I will say that. But, um, you know, it it forced me to grow. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay. So, owner finance is a completely different game. I got lucky. I'll say that. But you never get what you don't ask for. Right. So. Sales. Yep. And I, you know, I, I presented three different offers to the the owner. And I said, hey, we've got offer one, which is, you know, uh, just conventional. 
Uh, we've got offer two, which is I'll have 75% of it with the bank, and you loan me the other 25%, and it'll spread out your uh, capital gains tax. So I won't pay it back till a year from now. Um, and it'll spread that out so that he doesn't get hit so hard with taxes. And the third one, I believe it was 100% owner-financed, but that was the one I didn't want him to choose. So there was something in there that was, you know, maybe it was like a lower interest rate. It was something to match the bank, too. Yep. And I also just, I was like, I want to go through my bank. I want them to have the first position lien. So Sweet. Yeah. And, and I think it was because uh, they were going to, we had something coordinated where I think they were going to do some of the construction or maybe I was, I don't remember, honestly. Okay. Um, but but the bank, my bank needed to have the first position lien. Yep. So. Okay. Why did you want that? Uh, I think it's because they were financing a little bit of the construction and then okay. I was taking the rest. So in order to have that construction loan, they're not going to take a second position lien. They need the first position lien. Gotcha. So that second house, Triplex. Dairy Queen house, yeah. <laughs> do you still own it and rent it? Yes. Okay. So you did that, what, probably January or February of 2020, that second house. We, we bought it right. that January. But once again, this was in the first six units. Yep. So it took like, it took a year and a half to actually get it fully done. So you just moved renters into that this summer? Uh, no, it would have been, it was one unit at a time. So we finished the top unit. Gotcha. And then we Smart. went to the next unit. Then we went to the bottom unit. Okay. Yeah. Tracking. Um, good for people to know who are going to buy and rehab a multi-unit. Yeah. And I mean, we, we made the mistake because we had, we had three of the other units on the first property. And then we had these three where we needed to get people in. I wish we just finished one property instead of trying yep. to put someone on, on the upstairs of the Dairy Queen house because – and you, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you do buy a multi-unit, buy one, and then do one unit, put somebody in it, next unit, put somebody in next unit, put somebody in it. Unless it's a good deal. That was a really good deal. I think securing <laughs> okay. the asset was More the most important. important thing. Gotcha. And even if it rented, I think the bot the bottom person was seven hundred bucks a month, and they'd pay whenever the hell they felt like it. <laughs> and, the, and the bottom unit was five hundred bucks a month, and they actually paid me five hundred bucks a month. That's so. the hard part with uh, doing investments that revolve around people. Yeah, yeah. So I, I lost you know a couple hundred bucks a month, but hey, I mean the big thing was secure the deal. Yep. So, okay, good, good lessons. So you're still renting that property out fully. There's three renters in it. Yeah. Okay. Any kind of tips, anything like that you've got on renting? Do you, obviously you use a property management company? Sometimes. Okay. So we do some of it in house. Okay. Um, and you can go to like apartments.com. For small landlords, it works really well. It's got a full lease drawn up. It's got all these different options where it auto it puts it into the lease for you. Um, it's what was that? Apartments.com. Apartments.com. Yeah. Okay. Show notes. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, it makes it so that they can pay the rent. It goes right into my bank account, and it also will automatically apply the late fees, so that I don't feel like a jerk for applying the late fees. But I mean, I, I do have a mortgage to pay. 
right. when it's late, like it has to come out of my pocket yep. instead of like it going into the bank account and then back out again. Yeah, I'm actually glad you said that. Again, anyone who's looking at getting into um, business ownership or, um, you know, being a landlord for me, I could never do my own rehabs. I would always hire somebody. I could never, you know, be the guy on the property management side that's like, hey, you know, but when it comes down to it, we are talking about business here. And the danger is human beings are emotional. And so then either you feel like a jerk or somebody will tell you a sad thing they're going through right now. And it is sad, but like we've made an agreement here and I need you to hold up to your end of it. That's sometimes a hard thing to do. Right. And so, again, business ownership, property management, real estate investment, you're the real product that I want people to fucking understand about when they're working is I don't care what you do. You're in the people business. Yes. Until iRobot happens and they all take over, <laughs> you are in the people business. I don't sell insurance. I sell myself to somebody and then I see if there's a problem that my insurance will solve. Right. But they're buying me with a backed product. When I came to get my carpets cleaned, I could have used anyone, but I know and trust Brendan. So I buy Brendan. Brendan cleans my carpets. If you're being a landlord, you are going to have a real person with real life problems who maybe doesn't have the money. Like these are real life situations that you deal with because we are in the people business first. So I know the numbers look great, but again, me, I would hire whatever it costs to have a um, property management company because you need to be the guy telling that guy he owes you money because yeah. I don't want to do that with my day, right? But yep. I know it takes – how much do they normally take, 8 to 12%? I think I think it's fair to say 10% plus or minus a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, and you would just rather keep that in-house than obviously pay somebody else? Yeah, but only – with apartments.com, with a newly renovated place where everything's new. Okay. So if everything's new, you don't really have many issues. If everything's kind of aged, they're going to be calling you saying, you know, oh, hey, the, there's a drip with the faucet. You don't get that with new faucets. You get that with really old faucets. So you're saying new appliances, new electrical work, new... Um, typically I think it depends on the place, but we'll typically do, yeah, all, all new faucets and fixtures, all new, uh, lighting, yep. all new, um, you know, outlets and outlet covers and the light switches and yeah, all new appliances. Not a ton, but enough that you know, you're not going to have problems. Yep. Okay. Yep. And you obviously have a system, you have lists of appliances that you use. Yep. Okay. Um, so yeah, when renting, um, I guess those are, are big things to look at, you know, how I love that we talked about that right after price versus cost, cause you're going to spend a little to put some new appliances in, but then you're not going to have the cost of having to run back and fix stuff all the time. Correct. And you know, on that note, just to be upfront, right. There are certain things that take a lot more time. And for instance, we have some of these are furnished rentals. Okay. And I don't do that in-house. Okay. That is a property manager all the way. Okay. And yeah, there, come, there comes a point where it doesn't just take, I don't know, four hours on apartments.com with my virtual admin to write up a lease. This is like, oh, this is going to be over and over and over and over. You know, you might turn that place three times that year. 
And that's when, yeah, you got to outsource. And you want stable living. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, for me, my advice would be pay somebody as a property rental company, but uh, I guess you can run it in-house. We're going to link apartments.com, um, get a lot of that stuff dealt with. Now, getting into R number three, which is refinance, right, which basically means that you are going to pull out the equity in your home, whatever that is, right? So we're going to talk about two, just a traditional refi, and then we're going to talk about a HELOC or a home equity line of credit. And so you have done a traditional refi on one of these deals probably once or twice in a HELOC, what, two to three times? Yeah, somewhere in there, yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, just talk about um, refinancing and that process and what it's like, how to pull the money out, how to check what your equity is, any of that. Yeah, so there's pros and cons to each, first okay. off. So let's say let's say you have a refinance. Whatever that interest rate is at the time, when you pull that money back out, it, it doesn't change um, over time. It Maybe if it's a commercial loan, then it will, but that will be every like five to seven years, okay. depending on who you get that through. Uh, and, and the big thing is you can then take that, let's say the down payment back out, and you can go apply it to another place. But you, you have already pulled the money out. That's the important thing. So, um, so they give you a check, let's say, for going on that $300,000 property that we talked about. Yep. They give you that 75000 back so that you can go use it somewhere else. And maybe you don't have another property yet. Well, it either sits in your bank account or you put it in the stock market, which isn't a good idea right now, probably. <laughs> and, and But that's that's your only choices, right? You have to go use that money. Whereas a HELOC, it's a line of credit. So with that, it just means that they'll open up a line of credit for $75,000 on that property. And the property is the thing backing it. So it's like a credit card. Okay. and But with a really low interest rate. Yeah, ridiculously lower, 10% lower. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's probably, I think my HELOCs vary by the month. Okay. And so it'll be like about whatever prime is, somewhere right in there. So the bad part about the HELOC is, yeah, it's, the interest rate varies. If we shoot up to 8%, well, I'm paying 8% on that money. Yeah. Whereas if I did a cash-out refi before things shot up, I'm only paying like 45 4 and I'm just talking commercial loans. Commercial loans will typically be about a percent above prime. Yep. So that's why, you know, yeah, this past summer, yeah, four, four and a half percent. Um, but that's the big thing with but the HELOC on the other side of things, you don't have to use it until you have to use it. So when an opportunity comes about where all of a sudden you have a home, and let's say your down payment's going to be $75,000 again. Great. You can pull that money out just like you would a credit card, right? Yeah. Um, it goes into your bank account. You write the title company a check for $75,000, and you go get another place. And that's, that's the beauty of HELOCs is you're not paying interest on it when you're not using it. But in volatile markets like this, who knows? You may win. You also may lose. Yeah. And if you pull that money out on a traditional refi, don't you have to pay 
a capitalist gains tax on that if it touches your hands, your bank account? This well, first off, let me give the accountant. Uh, yeah. Uh, disclaimer, disclaimer that says I'm not an accountant. Yeah. Um, however, I don't believe so. And the reason is, is you're not selling the property. You're only taking an asset that you already own that is heavily financed and you're taking that money out. And that's why it's so awesome because you can refinance that property Let's say you pay it down for 20 years where you own 100% of it, and now it's appreciated from you know $300,000 up to $700,000, $800,000. You can pull most of that money out, and it's all tax-free. Interesting. So we actually just went through this this year. Um, Kelly had bought a house when her and her ex were still married. They bought a house together. When they split up, he moved back into the house. Um, so they never actually ended up taking care of getting the refinance to get her off of the house. And so we finally got around to doing the refinance uh, and getting all that paperwork done uh, at the end of um, last year, right at the beginning of this year. And Kelly got a big check and I was like, we're going straight to the accountant. We're talking about this. And she was like, yeah, for a couple of reasons, number one, it's a divorce, but number two, the house isn't being sold. He, we did a refi to get Kelly off. He stayed in the house. So the house is still there being lived in all that. We just refied and pulled Kelly's half of the equity out. Um, and we didn't have to pay taxes on it. Okay, cool. And so I was super confirms. scared. Yeah. I was okay. like, Ooh man, we're going to have to write a huge check. We cannot spend slash invest any of this. And then the accountant was like, now nah, you're good. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me do you one better. Okay. So, on on my properties, I do what's called a cost segregation. Okay. And what that means, it means that you put money into the things that are removable or repairs. So if you need to get the drywall repaired and the paint repaired and stuff like that, right? Um, so you get it back to its like original condition, if you will. Yep. Right. So if there's holes punched in the wall, you can count that as drywall repair, including the paint. Because you had to get it back to the original. Um, cabinetry, carpet, uh, flooring, um, all these removable things. Um, cool part is that's 100% tax deductible in the first year. So there's certain things you have to depreciate with as the whole structure. So people used to depreciate it over 28 years as a whole. So when you put all that money in, let's say we're talking about that 75000 yep. right? Um that's a that's a down payment, but um, but there's assuming you're on a construction loan for it. Um, so you're going to put a bunch of that money into it, and there's going to be a tax write off in there. Yep. That you can wash through your other businesses and LLCs. Um, so let's say out of that seventy five thousand, let me let me back up a, a step. Does that make sense when I say that it would be a construction loan? Yes. Okay, so they're going not on the at the current state appraisal. They're going as complete. Yep. So, so it's yeah, it's assuming that that three hundred thousand dollars is really when you're done with construction, what they believe the property will be worth. Gotcha. Yep. So let's say you spend, um, you know, 
let's say you spend a bunch of money on that place. Heck, maybe you maybe that construction loan, maybe you put in $100,000 into the cabinets, the countertops, all those removable things and the flooring and the repair and the paint. You can take that as a tax deduction of $100,000. And when you later go, so that year, if your other business made $100,000, let's say Extreme made 100000 that year, you would pay zero taxes. You'd have zero profit for the year because you had a $100,000 loss in your real estate and you had a $100,000 profit in with Extreme. And so that would become a zero. And the beauty is, is that let's say fast forward 10 years later, you go and refinance it. Once again, that's tax-free money. So, I mean, there's a big, big opportunity there where if you can put your money into certain things in the property... I mean, it's just you're tax taking tax free money heaven. out, yeah, and then using a tax deduction to put back in, yeah, and then and then later when it appreciates and you do a refinance instead of selling it, you know, then yeah, it's tax free. Wild, isn't that like to wrap your head around? So you can get tax benefits this year for buying certain things, and then later. You don't, tax pay money benefits. On that. you don't pay money on that money that you're pulling out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the power of the refinance, and again, whether you're going to do it through a HELOC or a traditional refi, either way, um, there is going to be a lot of big benefit there. And capital gains tax, for those of you who don't know, you sell a property and you're taking X in profit and you no longer own that asset now you've got X as income on that year and you're going to pay your income tax and uh, what they call um, capital gains tax on that unless in some you can roll that into another property and never touch it, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. So the fun part about real estate is really the tax benefits, right? You get passive income, but you also get a shitload of tax benefits if you're doing it correctly. Correct. Yes. And can I just acknowledge something there? Shoot. Some people are going to say, you're not paying your fair share. You're not paying your taxes like you should, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the big benefit, those certain line items that they allow you to not pay taxes on um, and to wash those LLCs, it's the line items that make the place look good. It's not the structure. It's not an HVAC system that sits in the walls, the electrical that sits in the walls, the plumbing that sits in the walls, the studs, you know, that are the walls. It's not that stuff that you can that you can take. It's the things that make it so that Pretty. places don't become a slum. Mm-hmm. Like it's it makes it so it's the certain, yep, it makes the property pretty, makes more rents come in, and then you know the government will get their pay. Uh, they'll get their money at some point. It'll be on yep. that rental revenue. It'll be on all these other little things down the line. And, you know, you can never outsmart them. <laughs> you no. Can, you can only play their game. And we went over this in the last episode that um, came out about uh, basically business bookkeeping and taxes. Guys, for those of you who go, oh, you're not doing your part, you're not paying your fair share, two things. Number one, business owners, real estate developers get tax breaks for one true reason. They're adding to the economy. Yes. If you're paying taxes, it's because you're taking from the economy. 
in some way, shape or form. Someone else is running a business that you are working for. They're doing all the legwork, getting the tax benefits and paying you. So you're taking from, they're adding to. That's why there is a pay versus I got a benefit difference. Are you adding to the economy or are you taking from it? And number two, the tax code has over 33,000 pages. We went over this uh, with the bookkeeper in the last episode. There's roughly 35 pages in the tax code that are dedicated to and explain how to pay taxes. The other 33,965 pages, 32,695 pages, those are all tax loopholes. Those are all write-offs. Those are all ways to put into real estate. It's all ways. And why do you think politicians and massive corporations and business owners, quote unquote, make so much money? Because they know how to skirt paying a bunch of that in taxes, but it's in the code. If you're mad at somebody, you got to be mad at the education system and take it on yourself to go get educated because these tax breaks are available to literally everyone. Yeah. You just haven't been educated and you're mad that you haven't been educated when you see somebody else spending less money than you do on something like taxes. If you start a little side hustle business with your nine to five, guess what? You can still take from the economy and now with an LLC be adding to the economy and take advantage of all the tax benefits. Yeah, it's very true. And it, and it's not to mention that for those certain things like cabinets, countertops, you have to pay a contractor that. It makes sure. the economy go around. Yeah. It makes it so that someone doesn't just sit and hang on to their property and never rehab it and it becomes a slum when really it should have been brought up, it should have been fixed up at some point, and now someone has a job because of it. So, you know, some cabinet guy can make some cabinets and install them. Mm -hmm. Some countertop guy can do the same. And it and flooring, it, it makes it so the money keeps circulating. Which is economy, right? So refinance is really the power of the Burr method because you're putting in forced equity, as Brendan said, and then you're leveraging that forced equity, pulling it out, adding it into the next deal. And I mean, in two years at 29, so from 27 to 29, bought seven buildings um, and, you know, have rentals in nine different units, right? So yeah. impressive yeah. run, but you've been refi and dumping, refi and dumping, refi and dumping, right? Correct. Yeah. So you've run a total of, four to five refis yeah yeah and and the big thing is yeah it's just it's recycle that capital recycle that capital and every year i'll live frugally i'll make a little bit more and i add to the capital but i also recycle the old stuff so it grows from you know seventy-five thousand to all of a sudden a hundred and then a hundred twenty-five then and it just keeps going and going and going yep and that's the beauty of it it's just like when we talked about snowballing debt, um, both in episode three of Wealthy and then again in episode nine where we talked about um, how to structure yourself and get yourself ready for your first real estate investment. 
as you pay off your dumb debts, you can snowball your monthly payments into the next one and the next one and the next one and pay off your debt a lot faster. You can roll this equity into the next one and the next one and the next one and that number gets bigger and it can buy you bigger properties or more properties or whatever. But in order to do that, you have to do the fourth R, which is repeat, recycle, whatever. Um, do it again because whether you're in business, whether you're developing properties, whether you're whatever, most people have a certain vision of the future. And like, let's say it's that mini um, home development. There is a danger of getting there and being like, okay, and you're done, right? Because now you've hit that max goal. But in order, as we grow, as our families grow, as life develops, everything is either growing or dying. So to repeat just means to do it again, do it again, do it again. And Brendan has repeated five times. So what advice do you have for somebody? How fast should they repeat? How often should they repeat? Is there anything they need to know going from one deal to the other? Yeah, so it's, first off, I'll say it's always different. And sometimes people can figure out for themselves when it's time. Sometimes they can't, and they maybe need a little bit of advice. Um, first off, if anyone wants to reach out to me, you always can. Um, and second off, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, you'll want to do that refinance because you want to get that capital back. But there's been times I've had a deal starting to roll uh, before the refinance was done. And, but even then, you know, you can fill in the gaps. Um, I got a $40,000 hard money loan because for like two months, uh, cause that was my only option. I had an awesome, awesome triplex, uh, that was there and I knew it was a good buy. And there was just that weird gap where the refinance was taking longer than it should have. And a bunch of the money had been used in construction. It was just like, oh my gosh, can I not do this deal because I don't have enough money? And you just, okay, what's the problem? What are some solutions? And, you know, sure enough, I found someone who was stoked to loan me $40,000 at 10% interest. Win-win. 10% interest on, what, two, three months was not a bad payment. No, no. To get your deal done. Yeah, not at all. And, uh, you know, yeah, they were stoked because it was just sitting in their bank account. They were yep. like, hey, this can't be tied up for a long time, like six months or a year, right? And so their goal was some short term. And yeah, they, they made a little bit, not huge, you right. know, but but yeah, they, they made a little bit and made more than uh, what it would be just sitting in a bank account. Again, with the problem solving, guys, if you're trying to make money, it's like leading an army, uh, like one of my favorite guys. Uh, a lot of people hate him. Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. He gets shit all the time for being an asshole and being too black and white. You guys see black and white all over my office here. <laughs> Business is black and white, right? And my job is to acquire soldiers, a.k.a. dollar bills. And then I need to take those dollar bills and I need to send them out into different wars. And their job is to bring back prisoners. Yeah. Bring back more money. Right. And so my job is to look at things and look at deals and look at situations and look at something and be like, shit, we're losing money here and figure out a way to solve that problem. Shit, we need $40,000. Where can I get that? Solve that problem. If you're really going to try and make money, grow money, grow businesses, grow a real estate portfolio, one of the number one skills that I know will 
always turn out in success if you're trying to get into business for yourself. It is fucking problem solving. Yeah. So, yeah, if this doesn't show you that you need to know how to problem solve, I don't know what will. It's also saying no, but why? So when when there's a problem and it's a no, hey, do I have enough money for this next deal? Because it was a triplex for two hundred eighty grand. Sick. And that, that less was than like, hundred thousand per unit. That was like twenty. Was that twenty twenty? Yeah, that was like twenty twenty one. Jesus. Um, and so I mean, I was like, this, I, I, I have to do it. I have to do this. Um, but do I have enough money? No. No, but you know why? Why? And how do I get it? Yeah. So it's it's asking that question. No, but why? Well, because I don't really have any capital that I've raised. But there's a lot of people who do that. Okay. Well, I need to do that. So why and how? Yep. Yep. And sometimes it's it's going. Have you ever read Who Not How? No. It's finding a person who can do the how instead of trying to do it yourself but but finding a person who's going to do it better than you yep. right my lead carpet cleaner he's better than me at carpet cleaning yep if i go out and i carpet clean for the customers i am doing them a disservice yep mm-hmm. and it makes it so much better so that i can focus on what i do best he can focus on what he does best and we're all utilizing our highest and best use mm-hmm. to make the team the best team possible And that even goes back to when I was talking about no BS time management, right? Like I don't mow my own lawn for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't want to buy a lawnmower and a weed eater and a this and a that and pay fuel. And again, if I make $200 an hour out running my business, I can go run my business for $200 an hour. I can spend some time with my family or I can mow my lawn when it costs me 60 bucks to have the guy come mow my lawn and he's there for roughly an hour. Right. So 60 bucks. I don't clean my own house. Somebody gets paid 30 bucks an hour to clean my house. Right. So when you know that stuff, you look for who's who a she's going to clean my house better than I clean my house. She cleans houses. He's going to mow my lawn better than I will. He mows lawns. Right. If it's cheaper than my time and they're going to do it better, who is much, much better than how. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then, guys, I'm going to link his contact info in the show notes, email, social media, all that stuff. Um, I know he's now starting to want to get into sharing information, building personal brand, looking for investors, possibly. Quite possibly, yeah. Okay. Looking for deals, too. Looking for deals. So if you're realtors here locally looking for somebody who's looking to make deals, if you're a developer, if you're... Uh, looking to get into developing, if you're looking to get into investing, any of that stuff, uh, Brendan is building this part of his life. So I'll show note all that. Do you have any last takeaways for the audience when it comes to either A, getting into business building or getting into real estate developing? Yeah, I'd, I'd say have someone you can talk to who's who's maybe not a million steps ahead of you, right? Like I'm not calling up Grant Cardone (laughs) trying to see if I can steal a couple minutes of his time. Yeah. I need someone that's one to two steps ahead of me that, you know, this was just maybe a year or two or three ago where they were at this step. It wasn't 20 years ago like Grant Cardone, right? So I think that's the big thing is find someone who's a couple steps ahead of you and don't be afraid to ask them for help because they're typically going to give that to you. Um, and, you know, one thing you can do if if it doesn't feel like they want to give that time to you, make it worth their while. Yep. 
take them to lunch, you know, do provide value, provide some value. Yeah. And it it goes a long way. And, you know, I've, I've done that uh, for some people where, and they've, they've helped me out tremendously. Yeah. So, I mean, you found mentors early, you found Alden, you found, right? Like, that's what it's about. Finding someone that can help lower my learning curve. So great advice. And a final question that I am adding in starting this episode, Kelly, this was her idea. So credit where credit is due, but what or why is living a healthy, wealthy lifestyle important to you? I think it's uh, just being, you know, well-balanced. And th- those two are a big, big part of uh, if if you only do one, you're typically not going to be as happy, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're super, super wealthy, but you're, you know, 500 pounds, going to die at 40 from a heart attack, not really worth it. Yep. Um, and on the other side of things, you know, if, if all the time is spent in the gym, but you don't have, you know, two pennies to rub together, you're still not living the life and the experiences and having all of that, that you want to have. Agreed. And so it's, you know, I guess I was just taught from a very young age to be well-rounded, you know, to be, you don't have to be the smartest kid in the class. And I definitely wasn't, uh, you don't have to be the best in sports and on the field. I definitely wasn't. I just was good enough to to be to have a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the most social guy. I'm just good enough. Like, <laughs> good know. enough to show up. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the big thing is, you know, there's going to be some skills that maybe you lack. And you can either work on those skills or you can also find someone else who you can partner with to uh, – to maybe fill in some of those gaps. Mm-hmm. Love it, man. Uh, like I said, with black and white, yin and yang have been big philosophy for me my whole life. It's in my uh, logo. It's all over this studio. Again, very black and white, but because of balance, right? Living a well-balanced life. So very well said. Thank you for taking your time to come onto the show today, bro. It was yeah. awesome. I learned a ton. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled, and yeah, I, I guess you'll you'll have my contact info down there in the show notes. But I am trying to help with the personal brand. There's been a long time where you know I thought it was uh, really good to just be uh, incredibly humble, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some negatives to that. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to help as many people if if they don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. So. That's that's why I'm kind of here. If I'm a couple steps ahead of someone and and they need a hand up, I mean, let me know. You know, there's there's two types of people. There's the people that get to the top of the mountain and, you know, they're playing king of the hill up there, not letting anyone up. And there's the type that throw down the rope. And I want to be the one that throws down the rope. Love that beautiful way to close, man. One of my favorite people, Gary Vaynerchuk, says if you build the biggest building in town, but you spent all your time breaking down the other buildings just so that you would have the biggest building, you didn't actually build the biggest building in town. You broke down all the other ones. If you built the biggest building in town while you were helping everyone else build their buildings, now you really built the biggest building in town and you threw down the rope and helped others up. So love that you close with that. That's good, man. I like that. Hell yeah. Thanks for jumping on, guys. And we will see you back here in two weeks for another episode of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. All right, y'all. We have reached the inevitable end of today's episode. But before we go our separate ways, I just want to take a quick minute to say fucking thank you. 
Thank you for investing your listening time with me when there are literally millions of other artists whose content you could be consuming. Your support and feedback mean more to me than you will ever realize, which is why I'm going to ask you for one favor before we wrap this thing up. Please, if you have found any value in the show at all, there are three things you can do to help us grow. One, follow and or subscribe so you never miss another episode. Two, rate the show so other listeners can see just how goddamn good our content is. And three, take a screenshot of this episode, share it with your followers, and tag me at John Divine Inc. so that they have the same opportunities and access to information that you do. Now, get out there and enjoy the pursuit of the healthiest, wealthiest, most authentic version of yourself, and I'll see you right back here in two weeks for another episode of the Healthy Wealthy People Podcast. Peace!